You're listening to the Imperfect Allies podcast. This is Chris. We've made it to the episode that we've been raving about, where we sit down with Chris Nye to discuss the amazing BBC documentary, Can't Get You Out of My Head by Adam Curtis. You're going to love this episode. Sit down, get comfortable. We got a great one for you. Let's get it. All righty. Welcome to the Imperfect Allies. I'm Chris. I'm Richie. And today we have an awesome guest with us. We're going to be discussing some amazing things when it comes from religion, individualism, all the things that we talk about here. And so we wanted to get someone that this topic hits close to home for them. So we have Chris Nye, Associate Pastor at Awakening Church. Chris, how are you doing today? Doing great. Good to see you guys. So um, welcome to the, I, I wish we had like a, a intimidating name for this, like the, the lion's pit or something, but it's, you know, it's just a casual <laughs> conversation between good people. Um, so welcome on, man. First thing, just tell us about yourself. Who are you? Introduce yourself to uh, the community. Yeah, for sure. Um, my name's Chris. I've been married to Ali Nye for um, 11 years this year, so um, which has been great. She uh, is actually Dr. Ali nice. Nye, and so she's a <laughs> resident, yeah, resident physician um, here in the Bay Area. And um, yeah, I like... I definitely married up, you know, all those guys that say that, like, I'm like, I have tax documents to prove that I married up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, I, she's just smarter than me. She's more capable. Um, together we have an amazing son, Jude, he's uh, almost two now. And so, uh, that's the three of us. We've been in the Bay area for five years and, um, originally from Portland, Oregon. So, um, come from the Pacific Northwest route for the trailblazers and been living in warriors land for a little while, but, um, you know, it's hard, it's hard out here, but, um, yeah. And, um, I'm a, I've been a pastor for, um, really a lot of my adult life. And so, uh, I was ordained probably too young, uh, like 20 and, um, yeah. And, uh, have just been in Christian ministry. Um, but, but didn't grow up Christian. And so, um, just, yeah, just kind of came to the faith through my teenage years. And then when I was like 18, 19, started like interning a little bit at churches, doing that kind of thing. And then, um, yeah, just through a lot of people telling me where to go and what to do kind of led into, um, being a pastor. And so I've served at four different churches through, uh, like 13 years or so. And, um, yeah, I've been at awakening for, and in the Silicon Valley for the last, um, been in Silicon Valley for five and at awakening for the last three, um, and serve as a pastor, do a lot of teaching and do a lot of writing and do a lot of meeting with people, encouraging people. And it's basically who I am. Wow. I, I, so I have to identify the kind of the elephant in the room. You said you didn't grow up in a Christian household, but then by 20, you were ordained. That seems unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. Too, again, too fast. You know, I think like, so I, I grew up in kind of a nominal kind of spiritual home. My mom had more of a Christian background. My dad had zero, zero kind of faith or anything like that. And, um, and then I was in the Catholic education mm. system. So actually my first real interaction with God was through the Catholic church. But yeah, it's kind of a process of like, yeah, I don't know. I think I was that kind of person that was always just predisposed to mm-hmm. God is real or mm-hmm. God is out there. And so I was kind of searching, I think through my teen years and stuff. Yeah. But, but yeah, through my Catholic upbringing, I was ordained <laughs> way too fast. Like those guys take like, they take right, like 15 right. years to get yeah. become a priest. So, They've been doing yeah. it for a minute too though. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been mm-hmm. some years some behind that. There, maybe, yeah. yeah. Well, the, the, what really kind of drew, drew us to you, man, was the article that you wrote about the, the BBC documentary on the individualism and stuff. And I was curious how you came across that, like what, you know, how you saw that, what, what spurned or uh, sparked the article in you and just kind of start there. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, um, I was so glad to get your guys' email. Cause I was like, I, I don't know who's like interested <laughs> in this. I mean, it got a decent amount of feedback and traffic, I guess. I, part of what I do, I, I think I mentioned is I write, so I've written a <laughs> few books and write articles. And so I'm always looking for stuff to write about. I I'm, de- I'm just kind of like compelled to, to write and, um, to do it. So yeah, I'm always looking for like interesting things. I was just, I actually don't know how I heard about this. My brother is a film critic in Los Angeles. And so him and I talk okay. a lot about yeah. movie stuff. And so I think this was one of those conversations then like kind of just saw it. I think, you know, you ever just on the internet and it's like, this came up now four <laughs> times, somebody mentioning something. And then like, maybe my brother said, it. I was like, I, I think I got to check this out. So, um, and it was on YouTube. I don't know how you guys saw it. It was like free mm-hmm. on YouTube for a long time. 
time. I don't know if it's still up there, but it's six part documentary series called can't get you out mm-hmm. of my head for listeners or whatever who don't know. And it's really, the subtitle is really good. It's an emotional mm-hmm. history of the last 100 years. I think that's what really piqued yeah. my interest. And I had heard of Adam Curtis before, although to be honest, this was my portal in and I got to watch all of oh, his wow. other stuff because I just, okay. I'll be honest, I was mesmerized by this. The way that the mm-hmm. aesthetic of this documentary, the way that it is presented, I was really floored by it. I looked at interviews from him and then I realized this is crazy. I realized I actually quoted Adam Curtis in my second book, but I didn't know wow. who he was. I just quoted him mm-hmm. because he was a documentary filmmaker who was in conversation with John Ronson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I'm know a big Ronson fan. His books, I've read really. every one of his books. Oh, dude, yeah, yes. he's amazing. Oh, yes. Mm. Okay, so in in the um, in the book, so you've been probably oh, talking <sighs> about online shame. If y'all haven't read that, that's one to pick up right now. You can get it on Audible for five bucks. I, Come on, I mean, it's get into it. Yeah, yeah. I, that that we we should not sidetrack <laughs> into Ronson because I would yeah, I would yeah, go yeah. there with I, you, Richie. Hey, Richie, I would go hey, there. The, the audience knows me. I mean, they know where I. <laughs> Oh yeah. oh, yeah. So, yeah, keep going track. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. So you quoted him. No, I, I, I realized I there was a correspondence that he wrote about in the afterword mm. to that book that was so good, and it was about the internet, and I included it in mm. my second book, which is about consumption and capitalism and stuff like that. Um, and I literally, like, I was like, I know I've heard this name before. <laughs> I look in my <laughs> own book that I wrote. I'm like, oh, I've quoted wow. this guy before. I just never explored mm-hmm. his work. And once I explored his work, I mean, this documentary especially, um, it really captivated me. I mean, I'm, I've been thinking about it since I watched it in, in, in April. Yeah. I think I watched it. Yeah. And I just, it, it hasn't gotten out of my head, you know, to use his own, <laughs> his own, uh, title. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Did you, did you guys, so you guys read the article and I then did, watched yeah. it? I, or, yeah. And then or I gave did it to Chris and Chris, okay. Chris and I have been watching it. Yeah. yeah so, but, so your oh, article okay. sent me to the documentary. That's how I found mm-hmm. it. And so, um, and just like you said, it, the, it was very captivating. And I, I love that you pointed out the emotional aspect of it because that's what he's focusing on. That was riveting, almost painful at times, right? It just, it's mm-hmm. a, a roller coaster yeah. of um, how we've gotten here. And at times you almost feel p- powerless to just the levels of where individualism takes things. And um, I, I think that part of the, of the documentary was the hardest part to make it through all six. Cause it was just endlessly, yeah. wow, this is, this is big. This thing is hitting globally and I don't know how I feel about it. And so I loved reading your article and it identifying a area that was not covered, which kind of is where I thought the root of individualism came from. Like I, I, I I'm very curious about the, the connection between individualism and religion as well. And so just getting your take on that would be beautiful as well. Yeah. So again, for people who haven't seen this, I'm cognizant of somebody that would be listening to this, that I would want to sell them to, you know, because I, I would tell them, I would tell them what you said, which is that if you've ever wondered about the roots of individualism and the subsequent damage that it has done to our culture and our politics, um, you know, and if you are suspicious of simplistic readings of history, like the way that I think we commonly talk about the 20th century is through politics, you know, and culture. Mm -hmm. And this puts a different lens on it, which is kind of psychological, Mm -hmm. right? There's, I think a lot of psychology in it and, and also, um, anthropologically critical, okay, critical of human beings, which we rarely Mm -hmm. do, we rarely get there. And I think that's what I appreciated so much. I think particularly as a Christian, as a Christian pastor, I think something that is absent from a lot of documentaries is is understanding who the individuals were behind certain moves and also just the this straight up destruction that individuals mm-hmm. can cause. And so for me, um, I think like the question alone that the documentary is wrestling with, I would have watched six more episodes. Mm-hmm. The question being this, I feel like this was, a, and, and I put this a little bit in my article, um, my review of it, which was, okay, we have poured more resources into individualism and self-actualization. Yeah. And if you don't know those terms for people listening, it is the inward looking on who I am. 
and the affirmations of my personal emotional dispositions, and then using that, looking that internal uh, place and using it to push out towards my Mm -hmm. decision making, Mm -hmm. what I do, what my politics are, um, my decisions of who I marry and who I don't, to who I vote for and who I don't, how I engage with culture and all that stuff. That comes from an inward look and an affirmation of how I feel about my experience of reality. Okay, we've poured more resources into that for the last hundred years than any other project in humankind, which is also overlooked. It's also <laughs> overlooked the vast amount of yeah. resources that have been dumped into this yeah, religion right. included, pastors included, Christianity Art, included. I mean, okay, we have yeah, put more sure. resources. Yeah. Art. So the question is, how come we're more scared and anxious mm. than ever? If that worked, right? If 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 all that really worked, how come we are more scared and anxious and uncertain than we've ever been? Could it be that the problem is not a certain political ideology? That a problem is not a certain, uh, you know, cultural uh, movement or Hmm. something like that? But could it be that truly the problem is within, and that there's this reckoning with a an obsession with our emotional self um, and our own view of the self? that has constantly worked towards our disadvantage when we think it's working towards our mm. advantage. So that alone should, should, should wait, wait, you know, get some, some kind of um, brain work there. And I just thought as a pastor, that's incredibly captivating because for me coming from a place theologically, which I understand no, not mm-hmm. everybody comes from this place um, that this world is not primarily about the right. individual. And that this world is not primarily about even me. Um, you know, I, I've got told you I've got a son who's coming on too. The amount of books that we read together or are given to us that are curtailed towards individualism and emotional self-actualization, who you are is so important and look deep within. They're everywhere. Like I want to write a children's book that's like, you're not special. And that's good <laughs> yeah. news. Like, yeah. It's good that you, you are like mm-hmm. your neighbor. Because mm-hmm. when I'm like my neighbor, then I can talk with my neighbor. When yeah. we're kind of similar and actually we don't have a ton of differences, then we can talk. And that that's basic kind of Christian theology, which is rooted in a theological concept called the image of God or the Imago Dei, which basically says that all human beings are made in the same kind of icon and image as the creator. So it's that kind of stuff that's like the skepticism of individualism that got me interested. I don't know. I'm curious what you guys thought. I, I haven't talked to anybody <laughs> about this other than like the people who have like read it and texted me. And I got a few emails, a few like Twitter stuff, but I just, I just am curious how this documentary has landed with other people. Rich, you want to tackle it first? Um, yeah. I mean, well, first of all, it, it was a lot. And, um, you know, for me, I think the, the, um, the subtitle an emotional history of the last hundred years is, is apt because I felt all of it. And so I found, I found while, you know, you were engaged with it. I, w- I was, but it was really actually hard for me to watch because I knew the damage that was coming. So you'd see these individual stories, oh. and these like people that like were trying to make it. And, and a lot of it, no, and, th- and this is the, the thing that hit me is that none of the governments or systems that were built, uh, some around these people, some, uh, they were tangential or, you know, whatever, uh, around it, um, they weren't starting from a place of, you know, I'm going to crush A, B, and C. I'm going to destroy X, Y, and Z. They came from a place of, I'm going to go do good. And that became so about what their individual ideal of what good was that it led to murder and kidnapping, like all, all, all this crazy stuff that's happened. And so, uh, I think that cycle is, um, unfortunately pretty perpetual Hmm. and um because even if we go back back and back and back it seems to happen over and over and uh i just thought the the idea that um the answer might be the concept of self uh is is maybe flawed was it was really really interesting you know like the idea that we have of of that is is interesting because because chris and i have been talking to um and reading and stuff like that um a lot of um in um indigenous thinkers and writers and stuff and um yeah. and their perspective is kind of along it's coming from a different place like you know you're coming from a christian theological place but they're sort of the same thing like, like you're too important <laughs> like you are important um one of my teachers is named is uh, he's an animist um and does a lot of work with like ancestral healing and stuff like that his name is dr daniel four he puts it as like you're regular sized like you, you that's the good place to be is that you're not you know, elevated past this crazy point where we know 
awesome. It creates superstars and it creates like all these wonderful entertainers and stuff that we have, but it also creates dictators and like it also creates Kings and Queens, you Straight know? Up. So, and you're not, you're not less than either. You're, we are. And so I just, I, that, that was kind of the idea that struck me in your article and, 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 uh, in, in that. So that's kind of where I, where I start. You know. Yeah. That, that was the, the, particularly the section, I think it was towards the end on mm-hmm. the self and on, um, a guy named Gazaniga, Dr. Michael Gazaniga, who is the guy who did the split mm-hmm. brain stuff. So if people know this research, sometimes you took Psych 101 and you learned about this guy's research, which was people got hit in the head or had a traumatic brain injury, and they had to separate the left side from the right side of the brain. And essentially, these people kind of lost control of their vision of their yeah. self. Like a woman would go in and say, I know I need to pick up this dress from the closet, but she would pick up a pair of shorts and she already had shorts on and she'd put those shorts on against Mm. her own will. So her perception of herself was not in control of her Mm. actual self. And that led to Gazaniga writing like a ton on this. And he actually has um, like new work around consciousness and the brain and like those kind of differences between consciousness and the brain. But essentially his, his, his stuff like helped us realize like uh, our brains are not as yeah advanced or whatever. And also like we're constantly switching selves, like mm-hmm. who we are in front mm-hmm. of certain people. And Again, pastorally, that interests me because Christianity actually requires a death to the right. self. That's part right. of the Christian theology is that you die to yourself so that um, Christ mm. lives in you. So you not no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And that's, again, our own theological perspective and, and, and vision of the world is that actually, who cares if you have one self or multiple selves? What we do know from this documentary is you can't trust yourself. So if you can't trust yourself, um, perhaps good news, a gospel would be <laughs> to mm-hmm. die to it, to eliminate, to crucify those things so that you might live unto a, the greater reality that is God in Christ. So that also was just incredibly fascinating to me. Again, not right. in the documentary at all, my my <laughs> pastoral interpretation sure. of it, but nonetheless fascinating because Anika's research is like a, a worth a Google or two. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, with what lens you come to the documentary really is powerful. So on this show, what I've been discovering is fast uh, rewind a year back, maybe a year and a half ago, I didn't know what individualism was. Um, I didn't have any concept of it as a doctrine or a driving force. Uh, obviously, I um, I interpreted it because it's the world, it's the Western world, right? It's been told to me I'm very big into self-discovery. Myers-Briggs is really something that I am very fascinated by. So I've understood individualism subconsciously, but it was this podcast that brought it to the forefront with the um, social justice movements happening in the world and me having completely different interactions with people around me who they they saw it totally different for me from that individual point of view. And when they communicated to me, that individualism came off as cold and um, indifferent. And I could not... I, for the life of me, understand it until we really started working, me and Richie, we came together trying to understand and learn each other's worlds. And now I, I understand individualism. And from the perspective I have of it is that it is something that can overcome all odds in a way. And when I look at maybe Aboriginal or, um, you know, more African doctrines, it's so community based that when you bring that relationship to America, your your community is taking care of each other, but it takes individualism to kind of overcome maybe oppression and circumstances. And so I, me and Rich kind of talk about this thing as we call it white magic, because that to me is a better way to describe (laughs) conjuring things in front of you, despite your odds, right? Just it, it can do that. And so when I'm watching this documentary, I'm seeing over and over people going from nobodies to destroying other countries like how (laughs) that that level of individualism sadly in my perspective is wait is that that's conjurable like how can someone do something like that whereas i know family and friends and people who are just inundated with their circumstances and have no 
way to pull themselves out of it. And so I'm watching it almost taking notes like, okay, they did this. And then like, it's, 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 it's just such a different perspective. And to see the destruction that then comes from it reminds me of the doctrines that I've had naturally of we are a community, like this is what's better. But yet to survive in the world that I am in, I need to have a little bit of this individualism to create things that make my life more comfortable. So, so my perspective has been battling that and that duality of what I'm raised in is very community based and it's not about me, but yet what the culture that I'm in is the exact opposite. Yeah. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask, like you guys both mentioned that this was hard to watch in a lot of ways or whatever. And I think you're hitting at one thing for me of why it was hard to watch Chris was like, yeah, I think I see all his examples he uses, which are, you know, I think he could have, I think he picked maybe five or seven examples of people between. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Mao's wife and, um, the guy who started some of those conspiracy theorists, um, conspiracy theories and things like that. Anyways, all those negative examples, I think he could have put a hundred people in that, right? Okay. But then I was thinking, I mean, aren't there a hundred other examples of people who used individualism Mm -hmm. for great good? Mm -hmm. And to your point about like, you've, you've needed it to like, yeah, get to certain places and you've known people that I, I don't know that that was why it was kind of hard for me because I was just thinking through, well, are there counter examples to this? You know, to each of these, you, you plug in those five to seven. Could you plug in five mm-hmm. to seven others that in, to, to them individualization was, you know, mm-hmm. they did a lot of good. Like I got thinking about Nelson mm-hmm. Mandela, like he's a huge interest of mine and Desmond Tutu and like the South African apartheid and the justice and reconciliation that happened in that country is very mm-hmm. interesting to me. OK, how much did individualization mm-hmm. drive them? I actually don't know. I literally don't know yeah. the answer to that. I was just like kind yeah. of contemplating that, kind of thinking like, is that possible? You and, know? Well, cause I, 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 I just see parts of it as in, you know, if there is oppression around you, you have to take that stance in a way. And, you know, it, it's probably not the best um, relationship or connection, but, you know, Moses, and this is how I, I see it religiously, you know, Moses might not have stepped up and done any of the things that he did without God saying like, Hey, you're the one to do this, you know? And, and yeah, for me, that is a conflicting, like, okay, is this for Moses or is this for the people? And obviously it is, it is for the people, but there's some form of that little bit of individualism that they, you need that leader. You need that person to move those movements. And I know in, from the African-American perspective, um, because, you know, per capita, it's not the most perfect situation is rough in a lot of situations. That individualism is very attractive. It, it It's almost so important yeah. and vital that when you see those that have it, you know, they're doing something right, regardless of the pain or the sin that just is spouting from it. And um, and it, it's just hard to it's hard to know how to walk in it. But what I really liked about um, your article was it was just talking about getting to the root of humanity and what sin is. And I think obviously in the Western world, you know, if there's believers, non-believers, sin can be watered down. But on our show, we've been constantly trying to have these conversations because we've had uh, pastors on before. And, you know, we've talked about sin in the form of is sin meaning you're missing the mark or is sin meaning, you know, death, destruction, so I'm curious, based on your background, what, how would you define sin? Yeah, I think actually you're hitting at something important. It's a, it's actually a twofold thing. Fleming Rutledge is an Episcopal priest and a theologian. She she describes sin as capital S sin and lowercase s sin. And capital S sin is the destruction and cosmic fracturing that this world experiences constantly. So it is beyond moral misdeeds. A lowercase s sin would probably be doing bad things, moral misdeeds, uh, lying, anger, um, you know, unrepentance, bitterness, violence done just in the name of violence, one person to another. And that's grievous. And that destroys this world. But this world is, you know, from a Christian theological perspective, is not the way it's supposed to be. There's a philosopher named Cornelius Plantinga who wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's an entire treatment on sin. It's like 180 pages. It's probably the best book on sin I've ever read. And I think 
taking planting gun, taking Rutledge on these capital S, lowercase s, and this idea of it's just not the way it's supposed to be. He goes through various metaphors sin should be given. One of them is pandemic, hmm. actually, strangely. You know, one of them is viral infection of this world that goes from created order to created beings and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I find that incredibly compelling as a as a way to view this world because um this world oftentimes people think you know god created it and 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 it's good and that's it and really yes god created it but it is it is it become fractured he created you know a good world and not a perfect world and so christian theology tends to teach a a balance of you live in a startlingly beautiful world you live in a world that will that will take your breath away with beauty and you also live in a world that will punch you in the gut. It is not a mm-hmm. safe place. Uh, we don't live in a safe right. place. And the Bible never talks about li- this world as being uh, utopian at all. Probably gives a pretty rough picture yeah. of it for the most part. But then also says things like the skies proclaim the glory of God. I mean, so you have a, a, a lot of a balance there. But yeah, I would I'd say sin, capital S, lowercase s, not the way mm. it's supposed to be. It's interesting, man, because I think I... Um... <clears throat> So I don't know if you've listened to the show or not, but I, I was an evangelical Christian for uh, 20 years and in, and in ministry for about seven and or longer than that, really. But um, uh, and have really stepped away from a lot of that. Um, and this 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 sin issue was a core issue for me because, you know, I never I never really, really? I, I wasn't I wasn't Catholic or Orthodox or anything like that. So I didn't have the original sin kind of um, doctrine. But it was just talked about constantly, how I'm constantly missing the mark. We are constantly off, da-da-da-da-da. And it's because you're looking at pornography, you're having sex outside of marriage, you're using drugs, um, you're gay, um, those kind of things, right? And very few of those are mentioned in the Bible, like, at all. (laughs) But whatever, right? It's kind of started there. But I think this last year, with sort of waking up to, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, I think that word's been co-opted a little bit, but waking up to the idea or the understanding of systemic racism. For me, that is this sin, that is this country's core sin, is is, is racism, is the dehumanization of another of another person uh, on a mass scale, and then it has infected all of our systems. So for me, like that understanding of what sin is, and if that's what God's against, I'm like, all right, cool. So I, that makes sense to me. Uh, the other stuff, the what I would call sin management course, and I don't again, I've been out of, of sort of mainstream Christianity for probably a decade, so it may have changed. But I was, a, I mean, I, you know, I read Blue Like Jazz, I read New Kind of Christian, I like, I, you know, went through all of that deconstructionist period, Peter Rollins, all those things, uh, Jay Baker, and Jay was actually one of the guys that was integral to my sort of waking up to. I don't have to live that particular way anymore that God loves me as I am, not as I quote unquote should be, Um, you know, like, and that comes from his mom. And I mean, so there's a whole lineage of all that stuff. Anyway, I say all that to say, like, um, I think, I, I think I, I kind of can groove with that, that idea of big S sin, right. And it's, and it's, and it's systemic and it's in places um, all over the world. um, And that, because they're sick or because the systems are broken or whatever else or not paying attention to maybe the better things that are going on in the universe. Um, it allows for this, like one person to have this massive, massive impact, uh, negative impact. Uh, and that just perpetuates over and over again, you know? Mm-hmm. Do you think Richie that you experienced individualization through that teaching of sin? Oh, in like oh, 100%, a negative way. Hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. Because we, you know, and my even concept of God is individual. It is He is one thing. Where the more and more that I look at, um, especially the mystery traditions, it's not. It gets weirder and weirder. You know, like God is not one thing. God is everything, or God is is in everything. So it's it that part. That sort of more collective understanding is way more comforting to me and something that I continue to seek after. What I think is needed is a sort of a melding of both. There's probably a third, you know, you know, Rob Bell talks about a third way. You hear that stuff quite a bit. Um, but I think it is it is the melding of the two for sure. But that definitely introduced me more individualism to that in Christianity for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think that's a little bit of the damage we have done in the American church is adopted the individualization mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. gospel, to a, to a swing to the pendulum too far. Now, I would differ from some of the people that you cited and mentioned. Um, 
just because I kind of claim a little bit more of an orthodox sure. perspective of Christianity and a historic pers- perspective. However, um, if there is a critique on individualization in the church, I, I probably would entertain that and be in- excited to talk about that because that's that to me is um, yeah. I I it pains me to hear your story, man. It it it's like. Um, because I know it's mm-hmm. common. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that they pair I, very well. I don't think Christianity yeah. and, and individualism, as we teach yeah. in the West, pair very well. Because you open the you open the podcast yeah. with "die to self." Cool. And then we say, yeah, yeah that's absolutely true. Yeah. You need to die, die to yourself, and you need to be a great basketball player, and you need to be a perfect <laughs> gentleman, and you need, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. we stack we stack mm-hmm. it high, and we place it mm-hmm. all on you to mm-hmm. go do. So you you change those things. You stop mm-hmm. looking at porn. You stop being angry with your girlfriend or whatever. You stop, mm-hmm. stop, stop. And then you mm-hmm. do these other things. You read your Bible. You go to church. And it's all very mm-hmm. individualized right. without understanding that God is more active in this world than you mm-hmm. will ever be. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and I think I think that weight on the individual um, and that pressure, you know, it's like I think it, I'm hearing your story, man. It's like just like, you know, you said, I don't have to live this way or live. You know, it's like that 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 seems enslaving. And, and, and you know, to use a, a charged term, but like it, it just well, seems Paul like even says that like he says, I'm a slave oh, to Christ. So like yeah. people use those that language, yeah. which is historically yeah. out of context. <laughs> <laughs> our idea yeah, of chattel, sure, or chattel slavery sure. rather is different than their idea. Uh, I'm not putting a moral judgment sure. on the old, you know, I'm not saying I'm not doing that thing either. Yeah. But yeah, it's a different, I think it's, it's removed. A lot of the Bible is removed from its historical and cultural context. And the, the concepts, the concepts that, that kind of got invented essentially 300, 400 years ago, uh, our modern concepts of hell or things like that. Like it goes back a little ways, but like, it's not the same. It's not the same. And, and it wasn't speaking to those particular things, you know, and that, that's been a really difficult, difficult journey to kind of get through all that, you know? Yeah. I do think, I do think Paul would be, you know, surprised by the level of individualization mm-hmm. we've put on the new Testament mm-hmm. and his yeah. letters in particular, because one of the things you read when you learn the original languages is a lot of the yous are plural but mm. we don't have a plural you except richie you do because you're in the y'all, south right y'all. You, you have y'all okay yeah but we don't right. say that in california uh you know we, we don't know what we're doing um but yeah we don't have like a plural we just mm. use the you for the individual mm-hmm. and for the collective and so a lot of those new testament letters in particular i'm really talking about the epistles mm. in particular especially in paul um, you know, in our Bibles, we just see you are raised mm-hmm. with Christ, or mm-hmm. we see, you know, you have been seated with Christ and we've preached it. We've taught it. We've, we've studied it as mm-hmm. you, Richie, or like, you know, you have died to sin or something like that. You, Richie. And a lot of those terms, certainly not all of them, but a lot of them were collective because he was writing wow. to a community. He was writing to the church yep. in Corinth. He was writing to the church in Rome. So like these, he was, he was really writing to a collective and um, there is almost no concept that, especially especially as Christianity was birthed out of Judaism, there's really no concept that you can follow God apart from right. community um, to the early right. to the early writers. Now, sure. now, 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 now we do. You know, I meet people as a oh yeah as a as a pastor. I meet people every single day who are like you know they're on their own walk with God without any mm-hmm. connection to yeah. anyone. Um, and I think, I think a lot of the New Testament writers would say yeah. that. And this, yeah, yeah, pers- personal salvation too, I think is that is sort of a cornerstone of that, right? Is that it's about individual salvation yeah. instead of saving, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a weirdo. And I think that, it, that, that, the the, um, what they're talking about is a collective salvation. <laughs> but if you start mm-hmm. talking about that to pastors that I grew up with or worked for, mm-mm, nope, mm-mm, you got to believe the right thing and yeah, you gotta do the right thing. And then you get it. If not, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. My, my only corrective to this direction, our conversation is going is to say that the individual, um, it's interesting. I think that the responsibility of sin in the Bible is given to both the individual and mm-hmm. the community. And so therefore the salvation offered through Christ in the Christian understanding is given to the individual and to mm-hmm. the community. 
So uh, I think it, to, to me, there's a both okay. and hidden in there in the, in the text because because there's actually left and right examples that are specifically given, I think, almost as like little uh, avatars for like a community. For example, there, when a tax collector comes to know, yeah, you know the love of God and responds to the gospel and is it's actually his separation from that sinful community that was doing injustice mm. to another mm. community. Right. And the same with the Jew Gentile thing. There was, there was, that was probably the largest theological emergency in the early church was just how do we reconcile a community of Jewish people to a community of non-Jewish people becoming mm. this new community. Again, it was all about the community, but the individuals that came in had to find a new identity as the body of Jesus Christ and not as like these other identities they were picking up. So the tax collectors had to be loved mm -hmm. along with the poor. Right. Massive problems, you know? The Samaritans had to be loved and included, right? The individual Samaritan had to be loved and included along with the Jew. And that created the most problems in the first 150 yeah, years that's of the fair. church. That's great. And it's, it's, you're, you're the first pastor I've ever heard talk, talking this way. So, I mean, I think I'm, I rock with that. Oh. Like, I mean, I rock with both and for sure. Um, and that's, that's where yeah. they're exploring uh, for me, for sure. Yeah. Thanks, man. And yeah. I, I just love that. So with talking to one Aboriginal um, who, you know, he has a different perspective. He's talked to us just about how the written language, because in their culture, it is all pictorial. So he's talked about just how the written language leads us into this fragmenting of understanding of words and how the lacking of the translations, it, the, um, the moment something is written down, it loses its depth and what it means. <laughs> <laughs> and we walk away with this just misinterpretation of what you is. And um, I, I just love how this conversation connected wow. that because we see that so much in our Western culture because we are a written language culture and having someone who's not a written language culture let you know what that does is um, very beneficial. And so I could just see how years and years of people seeing you meaning me, right? It's just, and that's an individual term in our country. That, there's no real other way to explain it. And I'm from Texas, living in California. Every time I say y'all, I get a twisted look, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we're like, we're yeah. like, <laughs> he's yeah. not from here. Um, and so, it, which is also mm. funny though, because I've actually heard in California, people are actually liking the word y'all because it has no uh, pronoun basis. So, right, it, so it, yeah, it's genderless. Yeah. It's, it's going to make a move to the West Coast because, yeah, that, that, that works yeah. for Californians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, man, for sure. Um, I, I, so based on just kind of where our conversation is going, um, there was a few things that you, you pointed out in, um, in the BBC documentary that I just kind of wanted to highlight because they – basically where, where we've been talking about, but I just like that uh, you pointed it out. So um, we've, we've talked about the contradictions between religion and individualism a lot. Um, I'm, I'm curious from a pastoral point of view and from the freedom of religion that we have in our country, um, and that, that is a huge freedom of someone's choice and rights, and that's something that we value in this country. How do you reconcile the relationship with um, the love of self, the acceptance of all, and then the need for us to have some kind of moral underpinning that naturally to coexist with others? Because what we talk about on this show a lot is um, how we see those that are you, let's say the LGBTQ community is very open for love. That's like the most important doctrine. But we do acknowledge that in those communities, the love stops with someone who might be more bigoted or um, just from a totally different walk of life. And we don't have that. There's in our culture, it doesn't seem like there's an underpinning of how to love thy neighbor regardless. I, I, I don't know where we get that from other than religion. So I guess I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that dilemma in our freedom of religions culture amalgamation of tons of different people living in one place but also how do we love thy neighbor if we are so individualized <laughs> sorry <laughs> that's how we do chris that's, that's how we do here oh. that's how we do you guys you guys are in it and i love it i i mean what can i contribute to that question i mean I mean, just speak for me. Yeah, we're, we're first thing. Are. That, yeah, man, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is I think that question needs needs to be reflected mm. on in our country. I mean, I, I think if you don't have if you don't have a reason 
to love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. You won't. Yeah. Now that's coming from, again, a certain perspective that I have as a Christian pastor. And, and, and here's why I, I don't, I don't have a, I, if I don't have an, a reason, an underpinning, like you said, to, to love my neighbor and to love my neighbor, regardless of who they are, simply as another created being. Um, if I don't have a reason for that, an underpinning, a premise, I won't do it. I won't do it consistently. And I won't even challenge myself to do that. And I won't even, you know, to use my own language as a Christian, I won't follow the Holy Spirit's promptings to do that. I believe that's the other thing that's going on in my life is that God is a reality constantly speaking to me and challenging me and convicting me to to love people that are very, very hard to love or even people that seem as an inconvenience. Mm -hmm. So there is so much self-righteousness on all sides of this country right now with platitudes that we should be united, love each other, um, you know, affirm one another. Uh, I mean, I'm just trying to pick on stuff from all sides of this spectrum that we are in this country. Okay, that is religiously commanded language, mm -hmm. you know? <sighs> and what bothers me is that nobody has made the argument about why we should mm. do that. Um, no, no, nobody, nobody's talking about that. People are just demanding everybody have equal rights. Now I agree with that, but I'm smart enough to know that most of us don't actually want that, that are in, especially people like myself who are white and in power. We actually don't want to disadvantage mm -hmm. ourselves so that other people could be advantaged. So why would we do that? And to me, to not talk about that question and to not investigate that question will lead to just shouting at mm -hmm. different sure. sides of the argument, yeah. right? Just saying, just saying, like, we should do this. And, and to me, you know, the, the gospel mm -hmm. is the great premise. The gospel is mm -hmm. the great underpinning right. to human life, which is that God, the most advantaged person who did not, the most advantaged being in the universe who did not need to do anything, didn't have to do anything came into flesh and died and rose again. Okay, that gospel, if that is the uh, the premise of my life, if I'm orbiting around that premise, um, it will challenge me to do things I don't want to do. And I think as an individual, uh, it's an amazing, amazing thing to have something that challenges you to love with a kind of veracity that you don't have in yourself. I mean, I, I do this in a, when I do weddings as a pastor. You know, we, that's part mm -hmm. of what we get to do. When I do weddings, I... I, I, I I tell the couple and the people there, I say, you need to have something that when your own resources to love each other runs out, you need a well to draw from. You need something to draw from because you will constantly run out on your ability wow. to love other people. So what's the premise? What's the well that you go to? Most of us go to a kind of self-actualization. Well, I, I should be a good person. It makes yeah. me feel like a wow. good person yeah. when I do good, okay? But that's still rooted in yourself. And that is putting a level of pressure on who you and I are to do something that we actually are really, really bad at doing. We are not good at loving people equally and with great affection yeah. consistently. We, we are not, not good at that. I am, I am not good at that. I am not naturally bent towards that. So to have something in my life that every day and every Sunday and every hopefully minute of my life I'm thinking through, and I'm not, by the way, I'm not, I'm not that good of a Christian, but to have the reality of God sitting in my life that says to die is better than to live, to love is better, and to serve is better than to have power. And to have that reality prove me wrong every day is the mm. premise of my life, that when when I believe is accessed with great purity and not manipulation can lead to wonderful, wonderful things. It's why, you know, Nicholas Kristof, he's the writer in the New York Times, journalist forever and ever. You know, he, he wrote this article years ago that was like, he's like, look, I'm not religious, but like I travel the world in the darkest places in the third world, like terrible, mm -hmm. terrible places. Do you want to know who's there? Every single time I go there, you know who was there before me? Christians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and he's like, I'm not a Christian, but he's like, there's something about that story, that 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 story of, of a God dying for us, that when it is inhabited in the deepest places of your life will lead you to do some pretty courageous and probably <laughs> stupid things. Right. Probably pro probably to an American. Well, sure. Stupid. Um, you know, we serve the poor here at Awakening and we give thousands, thousands of dollars. Yeah, many people. Could that money be used differently? What? Why are you spending your time? You know, why not invest mm -hmm. that? Or do something else. It's like, um, 
the Christian gospel doesn't really have a return on investment, <laughs> uh, you know, mentality. It's, it basically says return, uh, you know, there's no return on investment. Just return yourself to God and see. But see it's an happens. endless well. Dude, well, I, I mean, don't know, man. That's a big, that's is. a big question, but it is an endless well. And it is, I've just found it to be, um, I, I just fa- have found it to be a pretty remarkable resource for my, for my own life and for my own community here in this. That's in a this good answer. Silicon Valley. That's constantly about greed. I don't know. You just need a premise. And I don't think enough people are talking yeah. about the premise. I would love more people to, to ask that I question. Think, you know, I think with the sort of the innovation of individualism, that's that's a premise that people have used. And we'll take it – and it's going to take – you know, it's taken – so from just as from my understanding, the, uh, the primary example we have in Christianity um, is, is um, a redemptive death. And a death that's humiliating, a death that is – that calls your – personhood, your goodness, your, your grace or whatever, your, the good parts of you, it calls that, uh, it calls that a demon. It calls that witchcraft or whatever. It calls that evil. And it's going to, the, the world, you know, that the systems in place want to destroy that. And in, um, you know, as you've been talking, uh, I've been reflecting on, um, or at least little things that popped up in my head about living that life. Uh, living the life in a way that even in Christian ministry, where you say, we're going to spend five grand on doing a soup kitchen. And that like this, this is a weekly thing that we're doing. Um, what I would get oftentimes is that, well, do they really need it? Do they really deserve it? Are they doing what yeah. they need to do to work and da, 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 all that stuff, you know, mm-hmm. there's in there. And it's almost like, um, are we not following a self-sacrificing God? Are we not? Is that not what we're doing? That we give everything of ourselves, even our even our lives over? And like, there's a lot of talk when I grew up about being a martyr. Like a lot of the kids talked about, like, oh man, I want to go to this place, and wouldn't it be just a blessing to be a martyr? But, and and it was almost like, even even that, even the even <laughs> the primary example has got turned around into like some badge that we could wear. Where really, where really, it's about uh, it's about something completely different, you know. Mm. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that that's where we are all, you know, as uh, I, I think I'm, I'm not I'm not going to stand and defend any any form of Christianity, because I think a lot of a lot of what has gone wrong is what mm. you're hinting at. Richie is like, um, you know, the it, I'm thinking about Galatians chapter one. Paul talks about a distortion yeah. of the gospel that they've taken the gospel. And I like that actually as a metaphor, as a musician like the 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 cleanliness of the electric guitar is distorted in punk music and metal music and stuff like that to to make the notes Mm. less clean you know and i almost think that happens more than like false gospels that people are like you know christians get wherever like or like try to they freak out about false teaching i think the false teaching is kind of more subtle like that you know it's it's more subtle and does more damage. And that's where I think like the individualization of our faith is a distortion of the gospel. It's like, like I said, there's an individual, com- uh, uh, you know, component to this, but it's not mm. all about you, you know, and it's not all about me. And so I don't know. Yeah. I think we have to be, we have to be really, really careful with that. And, and I think for those that are, you know, not in the Christian faith, I think I would still say, um, you know, is there some, is there something that, um, that is causing you to make the decisions you make. Cause I, th- I think that's where the healthiest leadership comes in, in any regard, but in Christian leadership in particular, it's like, do we all agree on the premise? Like Richie, like what you're saying, like, did we, don't, don't we all like, don't we all follow a God who died for humanity, like gave his life? Like, are we doing that? So we don't have to worry about like the, yeah, the whole, like, well, are they doing enough? Mm-hmm. Or are they working enough or whatever? I mean, I worked for a couple of years in the inner city of San Francisco in the Tenderloin district. And it's the, it's the, mm. one of the poorest square miles wow. in the country. And it's, it looks yeah. like the third world. I mean, it's, it's really, really rough if you guys have ever been there. And, um, you know, we couldn't ask that question. We couldn't ask those questions of like, of like, you know, uh, uh, is this person doing mm. enough or is this, I mean, there, these people were many, many of them were racked mm. with mental illness. You know, many of them were a part of very unjust mm. systems. Like I, I remember having this realization while working with, with that population more closely and intimately was just like, what, what do people expect, you know, my, these mm. residents to do these, these, these people who don't have homes, like what, what do they expect of them? You know? And the expectations are actually ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're insane. They're insane. And what Christianity does is at least opens up 
a window to maybe we don't have to have any expectations and maybe we can just yeah. give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I really think so. And I think that's the key to unlocking it. Um, at least in my, you know, for my, for my chair anyway, uh, for me. Um, cause I think that if you, 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 you talked about context too, and about the premise, I mean, it, that premise existed here before Christians got here, that, 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 that it existed in the world and different communities. Um, you know, different premises. And some of those premises I think are, 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 are equally as beautiful and life affirming and, you know, connected that then they survived tens of thousands of years, you know, that we are, we are all each other's relatives and we all have a role to play a collective role, um, in, in, um, the furthering of the species or the, just the, you know, uh, Thanksgiving to creation or whatever the different pieces are, we can call it whatever we want. I'm not, and, I'm not, and I know that, you know, I'm not trying to get you to say that God is everything that, you know, but, <laughs> uh, but I don't, don't, don't worry. Dude, I won't. <laughs> not trying to get you there, but, but I do think that there is something there. There's a, there's a commonality, um, that or a common thread that runs through some of that stuff. And, and for me, I think I, I had to take some time away from Christianity to, because, um, the circles that I was running in didn't acknowledge the damage that has been done with the abuse of power, with uh, things like that. And, um, you know, I think I, me, like a lot of Americans, a lot of kids that grew up in the 90s, through, you know, I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater, but, you know, without people talking in the way you're talking, I just did, did know there's no interest. But it sounds to me like that there is that voice has been in the church, maybe still is. I like Richard Rohr is one of my favorite teachers of all time. And, and that, uh, you know, he's been somebody that consistently have been able to go listen to him and talk and maybe got to sit and eat lunch with him. Right. Uh, like just got to, uh, even in the middle of all this, like deconstructionist, you know, whatever you want to call it stuff. So, um, that's just, I, I say all that to say that it's just, it's really great to hear somebody in your position from your theology uh, perspective, theological perspectives, talking in this way, right? That 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 it is not necessarily all about your self-actualization, um, and in fact, it's it's that I don't know. That's been a misstep, and so yeah, I just appreciate that for sure. Yeah, th- thank you. I appreciate that you saying that, and I, you know, I I would add only add to that that I uh, to reject my own individualization. I, I am not mm-hmm. alone in this. You know, this this, this is the, what I am saying is uh, the product of many mm-hmm. great writers and thinkers that do acknowledge that. But I understand that, Richie. I think I think particularly if you're talking '90s when the economy was booming and. Um, Man, we were blind to like a lot yeah. of things, yeah. like, uh, you know, culturally as a yeah. mass culture. And we did have a decent run where there was unacknowledged pain in this country. Um, and I would just, the only thing I'd interject there is that the church was not the only place where people were not acknowledging 100%. pain of, um, of injustice. Now, mm-hmm. the church was. Hear me, hear me loud and clear saying that. The church was, man. The mm-hmm. church was. And then also it's like, you know, a beautiful thing I think about a lot is um, when we say the church, we do mean the loudest majority voices yeah. of the church um, were yeah. not, you know, and, and you know, I was I was a part of a pretty large majority white kind of church when I started out in this faith. And upon reflection, you know, it's really wonderful to think about that the loudest and not even the loudest, the most famous voices are not representative mm. of the gospel. Mm. And I find that mm. very freeing. Um, my great. representatives, <laughs> my representatives um, in the '90s, mm. dude. If you want to talk '90s, my representatives were not the mm. televangelists, and they were not the majority culture mm. Christians. You know, the people that I look back on that I would say are my teachers would be a lot of the minority and ethnic churches, and also I would say the third mm. world churches. You know, and when I so I often also think through like, you know, um, what is the church mm. to you? And what is the church to us culturally? And what is the true church? Um, Because every space in history where the church is the church, quote unquote, the majority voice is complicit in injustice, 
guess what? There was the church fighting against that injustice. I guarantee it. And everywhere you go, you know, you, if the Nazi regime is the most famous and Dietrich Bonhoeffer is per, perhaps most celebrated mm-hmm. for his dissension and his own political activity against the workings of the church, which had adopted what they called the mm-hmm. Jewish question, which was a heretical, terrible um, yeah. position um, that the church adopted. And everywhere you go in, in world history, there's another church. There's another church and it's, it's working, you know, there, there, there is no, simply put, there is no civil rights movement in this country in the 1960s without mm-hmm. the black church. Yeah. So, you know, pe- people talk about, I say, which mm-hmm. church are we that's talking fair. about, you know, yeah, because, um, you know, the, 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 the church is, is often, um, yeah, the opening to the great, great documentary about Dr. King is called Citizen King. It was a PBS documentary, yeah. if you guys have seen it. And it opens with one of his friends saying, hey, you can't understand this man without understanding he's a pastor first. Yeah. You just can't under- you, you're going to go on this journey for six episodes <laughs> and multiple hours, and you're going to try to find out who Dr. King is. You need to know this man was a pastor. Um, that's what you need to know about this person. The very first thing you need to know about him. And um, so, yeah, and it's, the same would be true of a Bonhoeffer or um, a Watchman mm-hmm. in China or something. You know, these 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 cult, these these Christians that were always working at the forefront. That often gives me hope because I'm with you, Richie. I I do look through it and I go, man, there's just yeah, and it's it's often the smaller, the smaller communities, the the minority communities, the those those that were not given the microphone, those that were not given the space to speak, those that when they protested, nobody said anything. They just killed them right. or imprisoned right. all of them. Like you know, and I wonder, man, those might be the those might mm-hmm. be the ones that that are mm-hmm. our witnesses. Yep. Um, and, and that's that's so much harder to to think through because then it, it fills me with another kind of just bummer, which is like, man, that the what we, we do kill mm-hmm. all the prophets. Mm-hmm. We do, we do, we, we 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 kill all of them, and we, or or we we subjugate them and 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 push them further away. Um, but you know, as a Christian, that is part of the yeah, Christian story. So it's also to be somewhat expected and somewhat to trust that even the great one who came and 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 not only taught the word of love but lived the word of love, we killed him too. And um, you know, his death, his resurrection. If we're looking to that, if that's the premise of our life, um, we too will you know do what many Christians have done throughout history, Martin Luther yeah. King included, which is to die and to not be mm. afraid of death. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer died, his final quote that is attributed to him was, this is my death and for me the end, but it is the Mm. beginning. You know, there was a larger theology that was operating in his life, which was like not individualistic. I will die and it won't matter because it's really my death is really Mm. my beginning. Um, So, you know, there 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 is no real worry about an individualized Mm. death because at the end of the day, it's not about Bonhoeffer. And King had the same theology. King went to his grave pretty much knowing he would die young. He was like he he knew he was going to die like and he. He said it in his final sermon. I may not make it to the mountaintop, he said. I probably won't. But what does that matter? Because it's not my mountain. It's not my place I'm taking you. It's someplace God is propelling yeah. us to go, you know. So you got to preach. No, it preach is. <laughs> the, 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 the accessing the premise and understanding. Because so I don't we, we share like so we're both comedians and every story, every concept, every joke. The premise is the underlying, like, you can't go anywhere without it. And I just, it, that makes so much sense because you understand nihilism is is a existence without the premise. And if you do ever go to the well, which it's a human well that's going to get tired, going to have weaknesses, even when I look at Myers-Briggs and talk about self-actualization, all those things have blind spots and shadows. And if you study it, you, you'll know what they look like. So it doesn't make sense to have that as your source of energy and um, I just I love how you put that. Yes, you are a pastor. You went into it, but it was it was what people need to hear because it's not necessarily about you know maybe you don't have a connection with um, the individuals who are leading some of the movements and you see their faces and, and you you you've been mistreated by some of the things that they've said or done. You know, it's not about them. It's not about if you don't you can't even stick with some of the untruthly like scientifically truths about the Bible, right? If you miss those things. It, those things can be disconnected from you perfectly fine. But if you grasp the idea that you need a premise that is an endless well for any time in your life to be able to go to and you know it's there because it's lasted forever, (laughs) 
and it's going to continue to last. Um, that to me, if I am um, atheist, secular, if I'm a believer, if I'm uh, into magic, if, wherever it is, that is a premise that I think grounds it all and makes a lot of sense and can make me love my neighbor and make me go out and put my life on the line for the people I believe in and love. And so I just love how you put that. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, it's good, man. It's, it's very good. And, and also, too, I want to thank you um, uh, for the idea. Well, just reminding me, like like Chris and I are learning on the show, that there is no monoculture for white. There's no monoculture for black. And there's no there there is no monoculture for the church. Uh, and and to see that the dominant cultures of the church that have been damaging may not be the voice of really what's maybe the the Holy Spirit, whatever you know, using y'all's using the Christian language. I mean, it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit necessarily. Uh, and oftentimes, um, it could be fighting against the smaller voices. Could be fighting against the larger. Uh, Bonhoeffer is a great example of that. Um, yeah. So thanks, man. That's very good, man. This has been an incredible <laughs> conversation for 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 us. Uh, oh, I mean, good. this yeah, is right up our alley. So good. Um, uh, yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on our show. Are there anything kind of last things that you, I don't know, ideas you want to get out there? Thoughts? No, just to thank the two of you and thanks for your honesty and inviting me in. You know, I uh, definitely know that I bring a perspective. Absolutely. Uh, again, it's not individualized. It's one that's existed mm-hmm. through history, but I appreciate you guys talking to pastors and, you know, uh, we, we, every time I tell somebody I'm a pastor, it's always like gauging their reaction, <laughs> you know, uh, or whatever. Um, so it's so good to be in a space where y'all uh, listen and, and also, um, you know, inspire me to think and, you know, I've really come away with uh, awesome. some good stuff. You guys are very, very thoughtful, and I appreciate you. Just your questions alone and your statements, your stories, super valuable. Awesome. Thanks for awesome. doing it. Thanks, man. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris. Well, uh, we'll end the show here. Y'all have been listening to the Imperfect Allies. Again, we are just trying to build a community where we're able to listen, hear, and discuss things from different points of view. We may not always agree with all of them, but it is the good thing to do is to just be able to hear someone, take in what they're saying, and let it impact your life. And so that's what we do here on the Imperfect Allies. As you've been with me and Rich, as we've now made it a whole year together on this Mm -hmm. journey, and um, we've learned so much about each other and about all of our guests and our world and so i i hope y'all are as thankful for this conversation having chris on as we are rich man how you feeling i feel great man and i'd love to talk to chris again man i'd love to pick your brain it's it's wonderful to read it's wonderful to talk to uh, somebody who is um read more than the bible and that sounds really crappy to say <laughs> but you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> and you got to deal with that yeah. too, man. I mean, because <laughs> the Bible's wonderful, and I, you it's know, good. it is, it is absolutely yeah. an essential book. And but uh, in in the Christian faith, but there there are other. It's not the only expression of what God's doing. So um, anyway, so I appreciate you, man. Yeah, ha- happy to come back. <laughs> cool. This is fun for me. Right so any, any right time. All right. Well, All right. Chris, we end every show with a peace, 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 peace. Right.